This is Speaking from User Experience, powered by Crosscom. In this series, we explore how empathetic research, design, and development lead to better digital products that delight and empower users. Here we go. Welcome to Speaking from User Experience. This is another episode. I am your host, Philippe Charles. I am here with Darren Staten. He's our lead UX UI designer. He's passionate about solving problems with clean, minimal design. And Steve Maxson, our senior UX UI designer, he believes that UX design has the power to influence lives and behaviors in significant ways. It's always a pleasure to talk with these two guys. And this one's going to be a really good talk because we're talking about emotional design. So let's just start right off the top. How are emotions and design related? Uh, a lot of people associate emotions with art, right? But people don't realize that design uh, evokes the same reactions and feelings. Uh, it's the reason you keep using products and the reason you keep going um, back. Simply put, it just it makes you feel good, right? Uh, I think TurboTax is a good example. For instance, like if you're someone who hates doing their taxes, and you also want to be someone who wants to take ownership of their taxes, you may employ the product TurboTax. And then after using the products, right, you, your stress levels are reduced and you have a feeling of a pride because you did it yourself. But that's all design, right? It's part of the intu intuitive design um, user experience. So the feelings that you get while using, interacting, using a product, right, it's, it's not just, it doesn't just happen, right? Products have to be good that's part of creating a good user experience. It's all about giving positive feedback or positive reaction and positive emotions. So same way you use products that you hate, right? They give you bad emotions and stuff like that. So emotions is part of design. Um, and that's, that's I would say, it's, always, it's, it's there, it's in everything. But as far as design is related, you can design in a way to evoke those emotions. I cannot wait to talk more about TurboTax and its effects <laughs> you using emotional design because that just I, my my mind went so many different places when you said that and now I really want to design some tax software and <laughs> and really play on emotional design especially when you when you when you find out that you owe the government money it's just like oh no like you got to have some great voiceover work for that like oh, i'd be so sorry but it looks like you're gonna owe the you know the the irs a, a significant chunk of change um but uh, like what uh, yeah this question is uh is interesting it's like i don't, I don't know that there's that there i wouldn't say that i'm gonna get picky on the wording of this question because i don't necessarily think that they're related i wouldn't I think expect anything less from you steve to, to, to pick <laughs> apart my question <laughs> Yeah, this is, you know, you, my, my wife knows this too well. You got to be very careful with how you word questions to me or I'm going to like nitpick on, on the wording that's used because I don't feel like they're necessarily like directly related. I think there's like a cause and effect type relationship where I do think design can um, impact emotions. And I, and I feel a special, like a special need to have to to make that case, given my my intro uh, that you gave just a few moments ago, Philippe, is uh, because I do think like design has the ability to like dictate people's behavior, um, and mm -hmm. I think we'll get into that as we we delve more into this topic. Yeah, but I do think 
just to kind of disagree, but really agree. I do think they're related. Because you think about UX design, right? In general, like the whole practice and stuff. Like there's a fine line between like psychology and UX or uh, philosophy and UX, right? It borrows a lot from different mediums. And when you think about psychology and the reason behind why you do things, it's all about emotion, right? Yes, we won't profit and things like that um, from it as well. But if we're talking strictly user experience and putting the end user first, the whole part of that is emotion, right? This is emotional-based uh, concepts. So I would say from, from a UX design perspective, yes. From a general design perspective, maybe not. Maybe you might be right and, on that. Steve. And I would, I mean, I'll add that Steve first said he's going to pick apart my questioning about how emotions and design are related. And the next thing that came out of his mouth was there's a cause and there might be a cause and effect relationship. A cause and effect <laughs> relationship is a relationship. <laughs> oh, yeah, I guess it depends on like, yeah, you, now you're nitpicking my answers. Yeah, I yeah. think we need a, we need a more feel, neutral Steve? moderator for this conversation, I feel like. <laughs> I don't like how this is going. <laughs> okay, so based on y'all's sort of answer to that question. So what are we talking about then when we say emotional design? Uh, I don't want to do any fact checking because I can't remember who started, but I know Don Norman's done a lot of research on that. Um, and so has a lot of other people uh, within UX. But the idea of emotional design, I think he wrote a book on it as well. Um, but emotional design is basically just the concept or idea of creating designs that evoke emotion. So basically what we've been talking about so far, right? But if it's done successfully, right, it leads to a great user experience. You want to create positive experiences for users by stimulating their visceral, behavioral, and reflective responses. Now, I can get into that, and it get really, you know, scientific and, and deep. But if I was to simplify right now, I would say in simple terms, your product should look good. Um, it should be easy to use. And it should leave a lasting impression, right? And if you're doing that, uh, which visceral is like that gut, it's that first reaction, it looks good, right? Behavioral is ease of use. Um, and reflective is that lasting impression that you leave when using a product. So that's basically what emotional design is there. Now you can get deeper into that and get more psychology and start doing more psychology type principles. But if you break it down to three simple things that you can easily do and follow for my design practice, that would be the main three that you will see in here. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you, you summed it up. You, you captured everything about like what it is. So I really have nothing to add on to this one. Oh no. I, I'm keeping Steve quiet today. This might be my favorite podcast. I'm, I'm on a roll today. See, yeah. We got a, we got a impartial moderator here and, and you're just like taking all my talking points. So, oh yes. Yeah, I apologize to all the users out there. Darren, you mentioned, you mentioned psychology and I actually think that's like, that's actually an important part of this. So when we think about human nature, when we think about psychology, um, and sort of the emotional system. What are the what are some of the things that we should be considering when we're designing a product based on psychology and, and um, the emotional system? Well, think about like a website, right? If you overcrowd, uh, let's say your landing page, right? When they when they go onto the landing page, the first thing you see is a bunch of things and ads popping up everywhere. Then your first reaction may be overwhelmed. There's the emotion right there uh visceral gut reaction as soon as they went on there they're overwhelmed well that's already a negative emotion and something that may lead to them not using your product um behavioral kind of the same thing they're they're evaluating is as they're interacting with your product so as they're using your product they start to uh feel like this i'm not achieving my goal right 
And you can get there, for instance, if you're trying to download an app and it has an onboarding process that takes like 10 minutes. Well, all they're doing is trying to get to your app to use it, but they can't even get to it because your, your level of introduction or onboarding is too long and too hard. Uh, so there's another, that's another negative uh, emotion that delete your product from having a great user experience and drop off, right? And then reflective, how did it make them feel? Well, if they started off, boom, they got hit with ads, they're overwhelmed. Then when using the products, they were frustrated, drop downs weren't working properly. Then afterwards, if they feel bad and sad, then they're probably not gonna use their product. I would say those are like tips and trips. So it's all about like being intuitive about the way you design your interface that will lead to positive uh, reactions. Yeah, and you know, as far as um, you know, what, what you should consider, I'm going to throw something out there, but uh, the human the human brain is incredibly powerful and incredibly complex, and I'm not claiming to be an expert on the human brain, but I think you can see by just looking at world events for the past couple of years, it's also easily manipulated, and 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 the, to to go into that a little bit more, like the, I think one of the key points to understand is how you can you know tie emotional design into more I guess like scientific ways to think about it instead of just like think of it as you know these random emotions that people might experience is um dopamine in the brain and, and dopamine is a chemical that the brain releases that is uh strongly tied to motivation in in humans and other living creatures for that matter so the the most obvious example uh to point to is eating or drinking uh when you eat or drink the brain releases dopamine in order to motivate the, you know, the creature, the human, to continue to do that behavior because it's necessary for them to survive. That's that's like a simple example. Uh, going more a little more complex, but still an easy to grasp example would be think of the think of Mario, the Mario uh, video games, right? Uh, collecting coins. When you collect a coin, you get that nice little chime sound um, when when you get it, and and you see the the number tick up in the corner. Uh, and, and then, yes, that is adding towards a goal of like earning a one up, but you see in some Mario games that are out there, people will really will reach the maximum number of lives that you can have, but they're still collecting coins because it's releasing dopamine each time you do that because it's like a positive interaction. Like, I think I'm just trying to give like two really easy to grasp examples. And then if you can take that, you can understand how that works. Then you can start to apply that to whatever it is that you're working on, whatever, or whatever it is that your business is trying to achieve. So I think, yeah, do dopamine, understanding dopamine and like how that affects like, you know, the brain is, I think, core to this whole conversation. Yeah, I, I, could, I could totally see that. And I think the example that you gave, like the, the extremes of the example, like Mario mm -hmm. versus like life needs shows sort of the, the span of how necessary on one hand and maybe not necessary but still effective on the other end but also it starts to tell you how companies can potentially misuse dopamine hits i, I won't name a social media but we know that social media is uh is often the the villain that we have in our crosshairs when we talk about um using dopamine to push behavior forward um, that's desired for the social media platform. But um, yeah. what are some of the ways that we can apply emotional design, hopefully more responsibly, but what are some of the ways that we can apply emotional design 
um, in, mm. in product development or, you know, apps, uh, websites, whatever it is. So I would say for one, make your design stand out, right? Don't be afraid to stylize and customize your branding. People forget like color from a basic perspective, right? Is uh, emotional. And you, people already kind of know that, right? You know, when you see red, uh, it helps you notice, but also makes you hungry. That's why McDonald's and a lot of places use those colors. Like we've all heard these things before. And it's true. It's the same thing with a digital product. Color evokes emotions. You might use blue or purple. We're doing health and nonprofit stuff. Like you'll see everyone kind of uses those general color palettes, but at the same time, it's about standing out and stylizing. Uh, people love to be a part of products, right? We, uh, same with Apple, right? Apple really digs down and ties into that philosophy. So when people have Apple products, not only do a lot of them like the technology and things, the products and it, it does what it says it does, but a lot of them are also tied to the feeling that you have walking around with an Apple product, right? Luxury or a sense of minimal design and all that and status. So that's all a part of that. And that's all emotional side. So I would say make your product stand out, make it accessible. You can't, you can't escape accessibility. Uh, if it's not accessible, it's going to lead to frustration. You want it to be readable, reliable, uh, and have great color and contrast. Uh, make your product personable. Uh, like I said, personality, Think about it too, as in like your copy, it goes all the way down to your content, your writing. Don't just use generic terms, like learn more. Uh, use some of those fun, you know, fun terms, like get to know us or check out our awesome product, you know, add some personality to your uh, writing. It shouldn't feel robotic or cold. I think that's a big thing. And one thing that me and Steve may or may not disagree uh, is storytelling. I knew you were gonna go there. <laughs> you, you, you must evoke storytelling. Everyone likes a good story. And I think using imagery and media to paint a brighter picture, your, your product should take someone on a ride. And if you think about like Starbucks or Airbnb and those companies, right, their products tell a story. When people use their products, they're evoking people uh, to blend or fill into a certain type of imagery, right? And those are some of the best products is because we believe in their story and we can see ourselves in their uh, products. So therefore, uh, you buy into it. And I would say, uh, focus on the little details, like meet warnings, error messages, pop-ups, people forget about those. But when you see those, like everyone sees that 404 error page, it just brings fear or doubt. And you're like, oh, this, this sucks. Right. But when you can do stuff, you know, like, uh, MailChimp and all those have like these funny 404 pages that kind of reduces the, the stress and anger and anxiety that those pages bring. Like you got to remember to put those little touches in there because people notice that and they're going to want to use and keep your product. I would just like to say, if you're at the point where you're really putting a lot of effort into making these clever or funny four or four pages, you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel there and your time is probably better spent. You could probably improve the user experience in far more meaningful ways by focusing your time and resources elsewhere. Yeah. Well, now we're assuming that you're you're putting all the time and place into your whole product, but I still believe those little details matter, right? You you've seen certain things on certain pages, you're like, huh? I, I like that they use this little pop of color on each page, like that. It kind of makes you feel good, or that uh, like they send out uh, like a little I don't know automated message, right? But it uses your name instead of just saying hey you or some generic thing, like it, they took the time to you actually use your information correctly. And this is like, hey, Darren, 
thanks for being one of our valued customers. Would you like this? You know, it, it, it adds personality, adds those little small touches. And I think if we're talking about emotional design, right? These are ways or little tips that you can invoke emotion. Or even like- I the, really want to get an email blast that says, hey, you. <laughs> uh, I'd be like all into that. I'd be like, where is this going? That's, that's right up Steve's alley. But even like the, um, like when a page is loading, and what what companies like the clever things that companies have done when a page is loading, which is normally like an annoy, you know, uh, we're all impatient, so it's a little annoying moment usually to wait for a page to load. But when companies find a sort of clever way to you know show the loading page, it takes a little bit of that that impatience away, right? Um, yeah, it's those of, it's those little things like people yeah. don't forget. Think about uh, Facebook. I think is a great example. When your page is not loading, right? When you're offline or like it's just picking up a, a little slower, there are a lot of a lot of what uh, places do. I think Slack does it too. It does that skeleton type of layout, so it still shows something there, and it it, it makes you feel like all right, it's going to come eventually, right? Yeah. But you have sites where the things offline or it's slow to load, there's just nothing. There's an empty screen. But then you start freaking out and pressing different pages, and you like you're just going to quit and leave the app. Um, but that, that, that little, 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 uh, thing is a big difference between someone continuing to use your app and not feeling frustrated or just rage quitting and like, I'm done with this. Uh, so that's just my opinion. Yeah. D Darren, you want to go more into the storytelling? Like what story is uh TurboTax here telling <laughs> on, uh, when you're doing your taxes? Well, it, you know, it's funny if you actually go on TurboTax, or I, I use TurboTax. Uh, so I only, I only talk about things I use. But if you were to go on uh, TurboTax right, as a first-time user, they're like, hey, is this your first time, right? And they pull you down. It's like, we're going to do this together, and I'm going to help you. Like, but it gives you the idea of like, you're not alone, but you're, you're someone who wants to do this on their own. That's who TurboTax is for. And they paint that picture very clearly, and they tell that story. Uh, so I'm, I'm saying it's not literally like cinema, right? You don't, you're not, we're not talking about like a movie, but you're talking about taking your persona understanding who your customer is and who your user your user base is and appealing to them and speaking in a way that relates to that uh, persona or that user. And you're using that terminology and wording to paint that picture or you're putting imagery and media on your website or app that helps relate to them and tell a story. We hope you're enjoying our conversation. We'll be back after this brief word from the Crosscom CEO, Don Shin. The mission of Crosscom is to leverage technology and innovation to solve and respond to some of the world's toughest challenges and to make a meaningful impact. Crosscom has been able to, for the most part, get every major trend right and stay on the cutting edge, stay on the forefront of where interactive uh, technology and human computer actions have been going. We're always looking towards how technology is going to profoundly shape the human experience. And I think that kind of commitment to foresight and to what the future holds is not just fortune telling, it really is staying one step ahead for ourselves and for the clients that trust us. I, I kind of like the format of Steve trying to stump Darren because Darren comes <laughs> back and that's, those are some of your best lines right there. That, no, that, that was good. I, I, I think where I, I get difference or where I think Darren and I had a difference of opinion, I think it's just how we were interpreting storytelling because we've both taken uh, training 
Um, I won't name the, the, the where we've gotten it from, but they really, really like to pound home how important storytelling is in UX. But my issue with it is that like when they when they say storytelling, they're actually trying to say like we, we you know we want you to tell a narrative, make it so that the the user is a character in a story, and like they're they're going that far. And I always get turned off when any sort of like training that goes through that. Because in UX, they're like how you need to apply the discipline varies so differently uh, from what the product it is that you're 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 working on or trying to sell or trying to get people to use. And so, like that, I don't believe in like that, that storytelling. I think can work in some circumstances. I used to work on video games. It's it's pretty important there, but like it not necessarily. You know, if you're you're doing like Wikipedia or something like that. You don't need to tell a story in that way, but the way that Darren described it, that is something I agree on. And then when it comes to that, I, I think of it more of um, in terms of empathy, developing uh, empathy in users. So examples of, of that, and, and again, this is, a, this is another thing too, where it's, this isn't one that is always necessarily gonna be on the table for every company out there. But you know, if you have you know you have strong company values that you want to get across, maybe uh, maybe your company like donates to charity. It's big in the community. It, you know you have like women-owned businesses, minority-owned businesses, things like that. That is a way to get people emotionally invested into the product. You you, you also see a lot right now in like zero carbon or you know uh, recycling, people moving away from uh, single-use plastics and things like that too. That's another way to generate empathy and get people invested in your product emotionally, get invested into the, the story of the company that is, is getting to be far more important, especially with like the, you know, the younger generations. Um, I feel that's been far more important to them a, as we move forward here. So I think that's yeah. something else to consider. No, I, I definitely agree with everything Steve said. And actually made me ponder a point and think about something too, like a lot of products we named or examples we named are client-facing products or outward-facing products, right? When you think internal, emotional design is basically at its simplest terms, is just understanding the user. You just need to understand the user and how you want them to react to your product. So same thing for internal products. They don't need a giant story like, uh, like a dashboard, right? Internal dashboard system. You're not gonna do a whole storytelling thing. You don't need to do that. They're simply trying to do a job. But the other things still apply making it accessible, you know, uh, making certain things stand out and making it understandable and clean. You want that, that gut reaction like, oh, this, this, I can get my job done with this. This is simple. It's not too many things. It doesn't look complicated. So I think that is a way to uh, look at it too. And, and there's apps that kind of try to bridge the, the gap. But the, the, the point is that I think you have to understand who you're talking to and know that some of these tips or things you don't need to apply to everything, right? You have to understand when to use and when not to use certain things. Yeah. And I think when I think of storytelling, and it's it's really interesting because, you know, each each episode that we've done of this podcast, we sort of gotten like to this idea that UX sits really close to branding and often overlaps branding, right? And, mm -hmm. um, and I think this is definitely one of those topics where, where you look at branding and you look at UX and it's hard to, to see the difference, right? When you mentioned storytelling, I think of the literal telling of a story, which is possible in some cases, it's not necessary in every case. I look at like, so the, it could be the story of 
a potential customer trying to do whatever task, right? You see those all the time where the infomercial style where like, oh, they're trying to do something, they fail, and then they do it with your product and they succeed, right? That's a story yeah. that you've created. You, 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 you can also think of what Steve said about storytelling, like what is the company story? What, what sort of parts of our mission and parts of like what drives us um, do we tell and show and, and give to the user to help them um, potentially choose to work with us? But then there's also storytelling that is the story that is currently going on with the customer. What is that customer trying to do in that moment? And who are you? What is your role in that story, right? You're not the hero. You're the, some sort of guide or supporter to that customer story. And so you may not tell the whole story, but you're designing sometimes in place to think about how do I put those, the interactivity or the features in place to help them complete their story better. So I see storytelling in a lot of different ways. Yeah, that, I think the way you that the you um, communicated that last point is exactly it. Um, and I think it's like Slack tells a story. Like we obviously see that it speaks to designers and developers and that's who it was made for. Uh, but they do that by incorporating certain points using hashtags or DM like having that uh, kind of funny nature instead of that more um, conservative, rigid, so it's speaking to those people who, you know, may be sitting at home, sitting in the dark behind a desk and things like that, or want something a little bit more light and vibrant and easy to chat. It's, it's not, they're not literally telling a story, but they're doing it through their use of components, language, and symbols and icons. Yeah, Steve, you had mentioned, you had mentioned um, dopamine earlier. Like, what are some of the ways that we can think of dopamine in a way that's positive, that obviously it's a good feeling, right? So um, it's, it's tied to this idea of emotional design. How can we design with thinking about, you know, dopamine responses? Yeah, so well, one, one thing that I was thinking about too, and it ties into what you were talking about, you know, one of the negative things that you were talking about earlier with like social media and, and things like that, but with emotional design, I think a lot of like e-commerce or any business that you're, where you're trying to sell something as opposed to being like a resource or something educational, that's open, but you know, I, I think of like how to use animation to, to trigger to trigger dopamine. And you can do that in a lot of different ways. Um, just like by like, uh, you know, if you have like a portfolio for instance and you wanna sort it, sometimes you see it where you, you, you choose the sorting option and then the, the uh, items move around. You, you can see them actually moving uh, or you have like a table of information and then you change the sorting on it. You can actually have the rows like animate up and down and things like that. And that triggers, it's more, it's more, it's, it's aesthetics, but it's also more visually pleasing that, to see it move in that way. And then, so that, that triggers like a dopamine release. And a, another example that actually, you know, we, we've done in the past, but then like it came up too recently on a, on a project that we were working on the Crosscom site, but uh, the developer here, uh, uh, Zach, uh, he, he did it where uh, when you completed, I think you filled out a form or something like that. And then we had like a confetti explosion go on in the background behind a modal. It was a very subtle thing, but that is going to cause a dopamine release because it's like re you're rewarding the user in a way you're, you're telling them like what you did was like a, you know, a positive interaction. And then like at, at, at that point, like that user's journey is likely over. Maybe they go back in, they, they dig a little bit deeper, uh, but their journey on the site at that point is, is typically over, but they're leaving on a positive note on a positive experience. It's a very subtle thing. And I think it becomes more, you know, things like that become more important 
you know, you have like a, especially like a, a software as a service where you're having people continually go back, like rewarding them with positive behavior. We're working right now on a, like a, a health platform uh, for, for people to track working out, eating healthy and things like that. And we use, so we, we've taken a lot of that, like that emotional design using these animations um, and, and what Darren talked on earlier too, the wording. Wording is something that is is very important and is often mislooked or overlooked by especially by younger designers. But wording on buttons, um, wording on you know the positive reinforcement when they when they've completed an action, uh, to encourage them to continue to go through that behavior, it all ties together in in getting people to become repeat users or to be able to perform that behavior over and over again. Yeah, I like I like the way you put that. And and a lot of like what you were talking about, sort of like the impression that somebody has after it ties in with what Darren was saying about like the reflective part, like we talked about visceral behavioral reflective. And that's sort of like, what do they think of after they leave? What do they what do they remember? And what and even if they don't remember that, that confetti explosion that we have on our site, hopefully it is a memorable thing that sticks with them and, and ties to the brand. Like I kid you not when when Darren said, McDonald's and its colors, I instantly got hungry, right? So there is a, <laughs> there is a response that we have. Um, but then to, I, like, I want to touch on of things. I want to touch on too, like that because I, I realized I like I talked into it in a circle, but I touched on like a negative topic, which was, you know, I, I said earlier I worked in the video game space. One of the, the things that's like kind of like a hot topic is uh, loot boxes, or you know, Ooh. you see like pa or packs in uh, like uh, Madden and FIFA and big games like that. But the, the idea of all of these things is you're, and it, it, it goes outside of video games too. This goes, you, you, you have like blind purchases where you buy something, you don't know what is inside there, uh, but hopefully it's something good. And, and there might be different rarities of it and things like that. And it escalates in price. But then when, when, when you buy one of these things, like you'll notice like in the, in the UI, especially in, in, you know, when we're looking at video games in particular, the UI for these like pack openings is usually the most polished UI you're going to find in the entire game. Because that, that shows you like these companies that are making millions of dollars, billions of dollars in some cases on these systems, like in FIFA and Madden, that th there's, there's a lot of importance in making sure that that experience is very positive. Uh, you want to give a positive emotion. You want them to, when they crack that pack, you want them to be like very excited and, and leave a positive impression on the user. So that way, they, even if they don't get what they want, that they're going to go back and do it again because they want to go through that process. It becomes almost addictive in nature. So that's where like, yeah, it's, 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 it's negative in some ways. It's somewhat manipulative. Like I, I mentioned earlier, but at the same time, you know, I've, I've said it before on this podcast, like these are businesses that we're talking about and like businesses goal is to make money. And these practices, while they are, I agree completely. They are manipulative. They are, they work. They work oh, a lot more than just selling work. the user. Yeah. Then what, what they want. And we're starting to see like the consumers start to demand and governments too, uh, in Europe, especially start to demand that these companies move away from these systems because of that. But until governments intervene, you're going to continue to see this uh, be a thing because it makes significantly more money than just letting the user buy what they want. Yeah, attaching that emotional uh, side, trust me, uh, 
uh, Chick-fil-A let me know it was my birthday and I definitely cashed in my reward earlier today. So, and I felt pretty good about it. <laughs> so it, it definitely works. But you can also see like the extremes, right? Like you're talking about gaming systems and certainly we talk about like gamifying responses and, and to, to get those dopamine hits. Let's go back to TurboTax, right? TurboTax is on the other extreme, but <laughs> Darren's whole point there was the feeling of, I'm able to do this myself and the satisfaction. And there is still dopamine responses that you can mm -hmm. have at the end of uh, completing something in within something like TurboTax. So dopamine doesn't have to be a bad thing, right? Or, or, or playing on, on psychology doesn't have to be a bad thing. You guys, you talked about, um, Steve, earlier, you talked about um, a health app that we're working on. And there's, there's gamification around doing healthy things. And so manipulative is a word that I think could go with a lot of these things. And I think it's true, but I think that you can responsibly use these things in ways that, that benefit the user and help them do the end goal that they were trying to do in the first place. Okay. So are there, are there other ways um, you guys mentioned several, but th that you might try to apply emotional design that we haven't talked well, about? One way that I, I think of that is also important in, in certain mediums is using sound uh, to, to reinforce uh, or give like positive indicators to the user. We talked earlier about the, the Mario example and the chime that you get with the, when you collect a coin. Uh, you, can, you can use that in a lot of other mediums that where sound is appropriate. I, I would not encourage you to use sound on a website because that's typically um, frowned upon. Uh, if you are going to use sound on a website, you need, I, I think it's a good idea to get permission from the user to have them opt into it as opposed to like auto opting everyone in and then having an opt out. But sound has, uh, you know, it sounds like, like animation can just also just be a, a rewarding experience to get that, that dopamine release. Yeah, and I like to add two notes onto that. If you're going to use sound on a website, uh, and I mean like sound is like uh, audio. Uh, feedback uh, by itself, or audio files by itself. But if you're using, let's say, like videos and things like that that have sound, I highly believe in auto mute. Uh, let the user choose if they want to hear or uh, interact with the visual aids that you have there. Uh, but don't just have, as soon as they go on the website, it starts speaking or whatever. One, it can throw people off and they don't know what's going on. It can be very interrupting. You don't know their setting. If they're in the library and they forgot to maybe mute their sound, and now it's blasting some ad or a video that they didn't know was there. Uh, so I would just be very careful and mindful about how you do that. And secondly, like he said, uh, I think especially with technologies like AR and VR that are coming and becoming more prevalent, right? Sound is a big part of that and haptic feedback and responses. And then I guess the, the, the last item that I had would be uh, thinking of, that users want to complete everything. They, they have... Users, people in general have a, a, a I, don't want to, I don't want to say every person, but a large uh, percentage of people want to, it, whenever you show them like a, like for like a progress bar or a percentage of something complete, things like that, uh, they, they have an inherent need to want to complete that. And, and, and if there's a notification or anything like that to make it go away. And uh, an example of this that it, it, it sort of try, ties into emotional design, but also it gives a good, good idea of like good user experience is I was working in the video game industry and 
we there was an a, a competing game coming out that was they did an early release only in Japan, and that app was only <laughs> viewable in the Japanese language, which I can't read. However, I had it. I got it installed um, on my on my 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 iPad, and I was uh, going going through it. And what they did for their their onboarding experience is they would put these little red dots. We called them pips. The little red dots across different menu items that are all in Japanese. Didn't know what they were, but I I, I learned that if if I follow the dots, I'm going to get rewarded with like you know some kind of currency or. Uh, character or skin or something like that. So it's giving me positive reinforcement. And by doing that, I was able to go through and collect all of this stuff just by following these pips. And then that taught me then too, like whenever I see that pip, I need to follow it because good things can come from it. So like there, that, that, that like bridges that line a little bit, like I said, for emotional design, but I still think it's like a good, a good little tidbit. And then like, you can use that in conjunction with other things. Like they did it with like, by offering rewards, not everyone's going to be, you know, not every piece of software that you have out there is going to be able to offer rewards, but you, there's still that inherent desire or need in people to have things completed because you can also think of like, how many sites where you go and complete a profile and they show you that your profile is 97% complete? What do I have to do to get that last 3%? Just tell me, LinkedIn. Just tell me and I'll do it. Um, but also, memory, not to frustrate the user and make it like they have to do it, right? Um, once they complete a certain amount of things that's just necessary, these are optional. So don't have it stuck at the screen every single time. That uh, I'll tell you that that it gets annoying, and as someone that personally annoys me is when it keeps popping up and keeps popping up. And you're like, you know, I'm, I'm gonna get to it. You know, have a place for it in UI. It can sit there, but it shouldn't take up major real estate or be something that feels like you're kind of antagonizing uh, the user or trying to be like their parent, you know, and scold them or something like that. I was gonna say like all these things, like or yeah, just all about all of these things. They can be used. Uh, or they can be misused and then they, you could hurt the user experience. But yeah, yeah, I, I just think that there are certain, like there's certain things with how people operate that you can play on and take advantage of, or <laughs> I'm using all these negative terms, but it's, it's, it's a matter of just like getting the user to perform the desired actions that you want them to do. Because sometimes that what a user wants to do and what the business wants them to do, those don't always align hundred percent. Sometimes a user wants to come somewhere and get something completely free. And, you know, depending upon what your product or service is, like you need, you're probably going to want that, you, you know, unless you're on an ad revenue type model, you probably want them to buy something. So how do you get them to that point? How do you get them to cross that bridge and, and make them more willing to um, give money for your product or service because of your business model? Well said, both of you. And I think what I'm hearing here is what is the theme that we've talked about, you know, in each episode is negotiation, right? You, you, we, you have to negotiate for trying to do this versus trying to do that. Too much, trying to do too much, as Darren said, could, could become annoying. Too many like interruptions in their experience by trying to tell them something else. But at the same time, just enough can help a person um, with what they're uncertain about and help them get from, you know, point A to point Z. That uncertainty, if if it's allowed to go um, without your help, then it can lead to that frustration, which is a negative emotion. Um, you know, the you talked about the, you know, completing a process and being able to see how far along you are in the process. You know, without that, it's possible that 
people are impatient. So it's possible that people can get angry or frustrated or abandon the, the process altogether. So as always, it's, it's always about negotiation. I think I also heard something that made me think about our conversation about innovation versus established design, which is like when we talked about that conversation, Darren was talking about how innovation can help in, invoke emotions. But we also talked about color theory. There's no mm-hmm. greater uh, idea of established design than thinking about our understanding of what colors, what feelings they evoke. So again, we're talking about negotiation. So I think that's where we're going to leave things today. Um, this has been an awesome talk. Um, I think that the important thing to remember is that your whatever you design is going to leave an emotional response, whether you intend it to or not. It's better to be proactive and think about it and think about how you can make sure that the majority of those interactions are positive emotions. So uh, this has been Speaking From User Experience. Thanks again, Darren and Steve, and we are signing off. Speaking From User Experience was brought to you by Crosscom, a web, mobile, and immersive app development studio. If you like what you heard, we encourage you to subscribe. And if you want more resources about software development and emerging technology, visit our website at crosscom.com. That's Crosscom with two M's. Thanks for listening.